Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you all praise and all worship. You died for us. You died for our sins. You died in our place. You said you gave everything away for us. God Almighty, you rescued us not only from our sins, but also from this evil age. You're bringing us to the kingdom of God. Lord, we love you today. We magnify you today. God, we ask that as we open up your word, that you would shape and mold us into the people you want us to be. You would shape and mold us, call us forth to be the church you want us to be in these days. Lord, as as we speak of the word of God, as the word of God is preached, we ask, as you see us as individuals, Lord, there's certain things that you want us to change, certain ways that you want us to walk differently in this world. We ask for grace. We ask for you to speak, lead us, guide us to the place you want us to be for your glory, for your honor, and your praise. In Jesus' name we say, amen. Please be seated. Our text today is 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God bless the reading of His Word. For the last 2,000 years, churches have come and churches have gone. Some churches have lasted a few years. Some churches have lasted a few decades. Some churches have lasted hundreds of years. The reasons are many and varied. For instance, some churches start in a place, uh, there's an industry, mining or 
or something's taking place economically and that, that, that town dries up and it turns into a ghost town and there's no need for a church anymore. The church ends because of that. Sometimes in our world today, as has been for the last 2,000 years, war and invasion comes into a region. We remember the last decade, ISIS has swept through the Middle East and how it closed hundreds of churches seeking to establish their worldview in that region. Churches come maybe through a heart, a vision, a passion to reach the neighbors, a passion to reach the region, but maybe in some places government censure or regulations close churches. It's happening today, it's happened for the last 2,000 years. Sometimes churches, they don't stay open because the people fall into sin. They fall into idolatry, they start worshiping other gods, or the love for Jesus just grows cold. And people start living for self, living for their own ends, being inward focused instead of the mission of Jesus Christ to redeem and save the lost. The Apostle Peter, as we've seen through our sermon series, he has a heart for the church. He has the heart for the Christians. He's writing to uh, probably house churches in the frontier that we now call northern Turkey. Small churches that are, are standing against the tide, standing against the wind of persecution and suffering. He's calling them to stand firm in the faith. He wants these churches to be thriving. He wants these churches to be alive. He wants these churches to keep representing Jesus because they're the hope for that area. It's always a tragedy when a church closes. It's always a, such a hard thing. Sometimes churches need to close, of course, but that's, it's still sad. We've been in a season the last year where churches have had to shut their doors for various reasons, and some still haven't opened. We are waiting for the statistics to come in over the next 16 or 24 months to see how many thousands of churches have closed across our country. Communities without a viable witness of the gospel. Communities without Christians in their midst. It's always a tragedy when that happens because the church, you and I, the body of Christ, we are Jesus' witnesses. We are Jesus' ambassadors. We are Jesus' representatives of the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom, the good news of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, when churches are present in communities, communities are changed. When Christians are present in communities, they go into institutions, they go into organizations, they go into schools, they go into businesses, and the values of Jesus just kind of seep in there. Your presence in the business that you work at, your presence in the family that you're in, your presence in the school that you're in right now, it changes things. And so if churches are absent from communities, unfortunately, oftentimes that leads to a brutal environment. A wicked environment when the Christians aren't around anymore, when churches aren't there as salt and light. So the Apostle Peter, as, as you've read through this book, I hope you've read through this book, this, this epistle, many times as we preach this word. He has a passion for overcoming churches. He has a passion to see people overcome suffering, overcome trial, to stand firm in the faith. This is the grace of God. This is the true gospel, Peter says. And, uh, he gives advice, he gives exhortations and encouragements again and again and again to stand. And so, brothers and sisters, as we look at this text today, 
Maybe not everything here is like immediately relevant to you. But these again are exhortations. The Word of God to us on how we can be a healthy church. How we can be a healthy body of Christ and overcoming church. Because this region, it needs the Gospel. We have estimates of of maybe upwards of 40,000 people in our valley that are lost and are going to be eternally separated from Christ. Only the Lord knows. Only the Lord knows. But the number of churches are just uh, continually going downhill in our community. We need the Gospel. We need healthy churches. We need to be a healthy, Bible-believing, Gospel-preaching church. All of us together. So again, let's open the Word and think about what Peter's saying here. He gives an exhortation in verse 1, and he comes in a very humble way to the church. He, he's, again, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's been set aside for, for, for the gospel. And yet he comes to these, these house churches, these small churches, and he says, as a fellow elder, I'm on your level. I, suffer, I saw the suffering of Jesus, and, and he knows in their minds, as soon as he says that, that they know that he also forsook Jesus. He was there. He, he knew what it felt like to undergo temptation. He knew what it felt like to undergo trial. He denied Jesus three times. In other words, he's saying, man, I, I come to you as a fellow elder, and I come to you who, who saw the suffering of Jesus. I went through trials. We all went through trials and tribulations. He said, I'm looking forward to the glory that's coming. I'm looking forward to partaking in the glory of Jesus, and you should too. But let me exhort you, elders. And, and what he's talking about in verse 2 when he says the elders, he's talking about the official office of elders. The, the overseers of the church, uh, different places in the Bible, bishops, overseers, the episcopate, the, uh, the uh, pastors of the church. They're kind of used in, interchangeably in places. But in every church, there is a recognized leadership. And so he's speaking to them first. He says, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd, churches that are healthy, they need godly shepherds. And maybe you'll never be a shepherd in an official sense with a title, okay? But this, this is something that's so important to the church. I beg of you to, to pray for your leaders, to pray for their wisdom, to pray for their discernment, to pray for their, their hearing of God and, and walking with God in closeness and in intimacy with their Lord. But even if you're never an official shepherd voted in by the church in some office, aren't we all in some senses people of influence, shepherds? Because what is a shepherd? A shepherd, it's not rocket science. He's speaking to people that understood it. A shepherd leads people to food and water. A shepherd cares for people. He guides people. He counsels people. A shepherd protects the sheep from harm. And all of us have people in our sphere of influence that need shepherding in that sense. Maybe you're a community group leader. Maybe you're a Bible study leader. Maybe you have a group of of men that you work with at work. Or a group of ladies that you work with. Maybe you have your grandchildren at home. You can shepherd the sheep that God has placed before you. 
to lead them, to guide them, to counsel them, to teach them the Word of God, to bring them to the Word of God, make themselves feeders, however you want to say it. But in the church, we need godly leaders, shepherds of the flock. Notice whose flock it is. It's God's flock. Over the, over the years, I've tried to say it in so many different ways and tried to put it before you in so many ways. This isn't the pastor's church. This is not Jerron's church. This is Jesus' church. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never see my name on this building. <laughs> it belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. And so all shepherds, whether they're elders or a deacon or a Bible study leader, a community group leader, a prayer a coordinator, they're all stewards. Stewards of Jesus' people given responsibility for a short period of time, and may we be stewards as healthy as possible for God's sake and for the sake of the people. He, he uh, brings before us uh, some ways of thinking about the elected officials, however, those who have been appointed. He says, it, it gives three contrasts. In verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not under compulsion. And we start, we kind of think about that, not under compulsion. What's he talking about? Well, in, in a small house church, in a small community, maybe there's not so many godly men to pick from. <laughs> maybe there's not so many men that are mature in the faith. We're blessed in this church to have many people that can lead, many people that have been matured in Christ and grown up in Christ, and I praise God for that. But uh, maybe some of these elders, as they were called to lead, maybe they didn't want to lead. Maybe they, maybe they, they were placed there, maybe they, someone put a guilt trip on them. <laughs> maybe said, well, you're the only one who could do it, you better do it. And there's some, sometimes we say, yeah, I, I guess I need to do it because the church needs it. But ultimately, Peter says, man, not under compulsion, but willingly. Leaders need to have a, a desire, a desire to lead. A sense of calling from God to lead. He moves on from there and he says, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Eagerly. Shepherds, leaders of the church, pastors, Bible study leaders, leaders you want to do that out of a love for people and a love for God, an eagerness to do it. You're not thinking uh, primarily about compensation. The Word of God uh, lets us know that uh, workers should be compensated. Um, there's, there's certain stipulations to that and certain uh, structures to that. But really, if someone gets to the point of being in ministry just for money, they shouldn't be in ministry. Shameful gain. It, it, it's, it's this sense of greed for money. If someone has a greed for money, and, and, I, and I hate to say it, but even in our valley, valley there's, there's pastors that I know that are living just for the money. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't happen that way. He moves on and he says, uh, be examples to the flock, not domineering over those in your charge. Some pastors, unfortunately, uh, along those lines, sometimes they get to a certain age and they say, well, I can't do anything else. I guess I have to keep pastoring. I need to pay my, for my retirement. I guess I have to keep pastoring. They're thinking about money. They're looking at their, their congregations as a way of making money. 
But there, there's, there's something else there too. Some pastors are, and some elders are hungry for power. They're looking to control. They're looking to manipulate. They're lo- looking to use people for their own ends. And, and Peter says, don't be shepherds that dominate. Don't be dictators over others. That's not your role. It's Jesus' church. Lead by example. Be examples for the flock. So instead of driving people, instead of driving people, you lead them. You go before them as a shepherd. You lead them and you go before them. Thank you, Elizabeth. As a shepherd. Leading by example. In other words, you preach about how you want people to live. You, as an elder, you tell people how you want them to live. You need to live that way as well. So your preaching isn't empty. So your preaching isn't worthless. So he starts off with the elders, and he, his, his first admonition, his first exhortation to healthy churches, to overcoming churches. We want to be an overcoming, healthy church. We need godly shepherds. People that lead righteously and in holy ways, godly ways. And he moves on in verse 5, and he, and he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Uh, again, we, we think about this, this, uh, this, this command here. And, and maybe some of your Bibles, they say younger men. The ESV says, you who are younger, talking about uh, um, the sense that it's probably referring to everybody else in the church. Now, now think about, think about the, the church in the sense of a small church. And they've, they've raised up certain men to be the elders of the church. And in a small church, there's not a whole lot of other people. In, in, in those days, usually it was the older men, the elder men, the mature men that were leading. And so when it says those who are younger, it probably means everybody else in the church. And he says uh, how to, how, in, in the sense of how to be an overcoming church, a, a church that's, that's uh, walking with Christ and, and um, going in the right direction with Christ, it says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, we've talked about this in several sermons. We're called to be in submission to the government. We're called to, as, as wives, be in submission to husbands. Uh, slaves are to be in submission to the masters, as we talked about. Employees are meant to be in submission to employers. And here it says, be subject to your elders. And in our culture, uh, there's, there's a chafing against that. There's, there's an ugliness against that because we're, we're afraid that we're going to be used or abused or that those in, our, in, the, in leadership are going to take advantage of us. And unfortunately, we see that. And so we rightly are a little bit skeptical. But when God sets order, He's looking to create peace. When God sets order, He, wants, he doesn't want to create disorder. And so by His grace, He's given us structures in the society. He's given us structures in the home. He's given us structures in the church. And so He says, we should be willing to submit to the leadership that He's established. If we want to have a healthy church. Now, it doesn't mean we don't question. It doesn't mean that as members, we don't go to the leaders and we say, well, what about this? I don't understand this. Hopefully the elders in the church and the leaders of a church will always do a great job of communicating why we're doing what we're doing. But you've got to understand that if an elder board makes a decision, they've prayed about it. They've gone before God. They've processed it. And they understand as elders that God is going to hold them accountable for their actions, Hebrews 13. 
And so it's a heavy thing to be an elder. It's a heavy thing to lead the church. And believe me, when elders make a decision, it's not willy-nilly. It's down on your knees. God, show us your wisdom. And so there is this sense of we, we as a church, if we're going to be healthy, especially in times of suffering, times of persecution, then trust yourself to the leadership. Now, some churches get in trouble, of course, because elders are just men, <laughs> subject to failing and subject to falling. That's why we have things like term limits in our bylaws. So as the active membership sees maybe an elder is not healthy anymore, the elder board is not going in a healthy way, new elders are elected by God's grace and by God's leading. But generally speaking, to be an overcoming church, to be a healthy church, it means members involved in the church, but members that are willing to be led by their elders, trusting in God's providence and appointing them to places of authority. But a bigger principle perhaps comes in the next sentence. Peter says to the church, and he, he has this heart and this passion for them to be a vibrant church and a healthy church, vibrant, healthy Christians. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's quite the metaphor. If you could imagine a whole church with clothing of humility. I don't know what clothing of pride looks like, <laughs> but the imagery there is tie on the apron of service. Tie on the apron of humility. What does humility mean? What does it look like? How, how, does, it, how does it play out in the world? Well, we've got some great examples from the Lord Jesus Himself. John chapter 13. Maybe you've memorized these verses, but they're fitting for our season. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's sons, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And maybe this is where Peter gets that imagery of clothing yourself with humility. Jesus putting a towel around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus serving. And, and you think about in that context, in that setting, Judas Iscariot, who is going to betray him with a kiss, Jesus washed his feet too. Humility is looking at others not in a, in a prideful way, I'm better than you, not in a conceited way, you owe me. Humility says, I'm going to serve you in love. Humility says, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to meet your needs, I'm going to watch over you. Peter says, man, church, let the whole church be clothed with humility. Conceited church, prideful church, conceited people, prideful people, how can that, that be an organization that lasts long? But a serving church, seeking to meet one another's needs, that's powerful. 
That's a church that exists oftentimes for a long, long time. The other verses perhaps you've memorized, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Another example of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, Do not, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross as we've celebrated today. Our great God who is worthy of all worship and all praise, He humbled Himself. He took on that servant's towel. He came and lived for over 30 years serving and giving and, and going to that cross. It kind of uh, reminds me of some of my shameful times when I've uh, in pride not served others because I thought it below my dignity. It kind of reminds me in my shame of the times where I haven't um, got down and worked for others because I was too important or I was uh, <clears throat> full of myself. We are called to clothe one another in humility as a church. And man, if every one of us take on that attitude, it's, it's like in a marriage. When husband and wife are bent on serving one another, when a husband and wife come together as, as one and they're both with the mentality of I'm going to make her better, I'm going to make him better, that's going to be a glorious marriage. When a church comes together clothed with humility, serving one another, that's a church I want to be a part of. And I have to say, over the years, I've seen this church do wonderful things that way. God's grace has been in our midst. I've seen people served and served and served, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be a part of. Keep it up, church. Keep moving in that direction. And we can get through anything together. Back to 1 Peter. He has this, uh, this, this proverb here. God it's, a, it's actually a scripture verse, a quote from Proverbs chapter 3. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. <laughs> Man, you've got to think about that. God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. Grace, God, is unmerited favor, the things you don't deserve. God loves to give grace. He's the God of all grace. He's the one who gives and gives and gives. Who does he love to give to? He loves to give to those who are like his son. He loves to give to those who serve and give themselves away. He loves to give himself, he give blessings and honor and, 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 and power for, for ministry to people who know that one day they're, they're going to heaven and while they're here they serve and they, they but God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud, and why is that? I think Dr. Chris last week when he was preaching, he got to the heart of the matter, the kernel there. The sense that God has created us for His glory. God has created us for His honor. And if we're a proud people, man, if we're a proud people, we're saying, I don't need you, God. I don't want you, God. I can do it myself, God. I can handle it myself, God. And God opposes. God is against the proud. 
And that's why I, I think Dr. Chris, uh, uh, Chris last week, as he was talking about it, he's like, why does God allow suffering in your life? He allows suffering so you'll come back to Him. Why does God bring suffering and pain sometimes in your life? He allows these things to happen by His grace. God disciplines those whom He loves. God brings back to those the, to the people that maybe are getting prideful or getting big heads or they're thinking they can do all things by themselves. <laughs> in His grace, He works in various ways, and one of the ways He allows to have, have things happen is, is He lets us go through suffering. So we'll, we'll learn again to humble ourselves before the Lord, depend on God, really depend on God and live for God. He's that kind of a God. He's the God of all grace. And, but did you hear what it said? God opposes the proud. You want God to be against you. Be a prideful person. Be a person who knows it all. Be a person who says, I don't need God. Think about it. Jesus bought you with His blood. If you turn out to be a prideful, arrogant person, <laughs> that doesn't work. It's hard to kick against the goats. It's hard to go against God's ordered way. You don't want to go there. So he, so he says in these passages, he's talking about elders being good shepherds. Be good shepherds. He's talking about churches uh, su submitting to the leadership that God has appointed. And he says, man, church, if you want to be an overcoming church, you want to be a healthy church, you want to be a vibrant church, you want to be a gospel-serving church that changes lives, start by humbling yourselves before one another. And he moves on to the fourth point in this passage. Verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. It's a beautiful thing when a church humbles itself before one another. It's a greater thing when a church realizes it needs to be humbled under God's mighty hand. And again, humbling, uh, what does it mean? H how do we humble ourselves? Well, he says, humble yourselves, and then in verse 7, he gives an example of what it means to humble yourselves. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Uh, Prayerless people are not humbling themselves under God. People that don't pray and ask for God's help, they're not living a very humble life. They think they've got it all, all uh, uh, they can handle it on their own. They think they have the tiger by the tail. They think they can do all things by themselves. Humble people pray. Humble people get down on their knees because they realize that God is the source of their strength. God is the source of their future hope. God can handle. And, and we start running down this path a little bit about humbling and prideful people. Humble people, they look at their circumstances and, they, and maybe they're going through a hard time. Maybe their marriage is going through a hard time or maybe their business is going through a hard time. Maybe they're having a hard time with their kids right now. Humble people, they, they say, God, I don't, I don't really like this. Would you take it? God, I, I don't really like this. This is not my, my desire. But if I have to go through this season of time, if I have to walk through this persecution, if I have to walk through this suffering, God, I submit myself to You. You know what's best. See, prideful people, when they get attacked, they take vengeance. Prideful people, when, when things are going bad, 
they stir things up. They're going to fix it. They're going to get it done. They're going to do whatever means necessary. So in Peter's situation, Peter's setting, <clears throat> even in our day, people tell us what we can't do. People uh, put, put regulations upon us or people do evil against us. And our, our natural in, in, you know, kind of sense of what we should do is fight back, take vengeance, get even. But humble people say, God, it's in your hands. God, I give you this anxiety. God, I give you this fear. God, I give you this problem at work. God, I give you this problem with my marriage. God, I give you this. This casting our cares upon God, it's a humble thing. We want to be in control. We want to take care of things ourselves, but humble people turn things over to God. And you think about this. Uh, if you're not praying, why aren't you praying? When I, when I, when I read this, it says that uh, we're to cast our cares unto God who has a mighty hand. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand, that's the mighty hand that opened the Red Sea to let the Israelites pass through. That's the mighty hand that raised Lazarus from the dead. That's the mighty hand that made the heavens and the earth. The analogy, the metaphor of a mighty hand is all power is there, all dominion is there. Can God handle your stuff? Do you believe He is powerful enough to handle your problems? Cast your cares upon Him. It says that He cares for you. He cared for you so much that He bled for you. He cared for you so much He took the wrath of God against your sins. He cared for you so much that He delivered you from the dominion of darkness. He's bringing you into the kingdom of light by His grace. He cares for you so much. People that believe God cares for them, they cast their cares upon that God. They approach the throne of grace with confidence, seeking mercy and the grace that they need. Man, does God care enough for me to help me? He does. And I know that because He already did on the cross. And so people that, that are humble, they pray, they say, God, here's my stuff for today. They get in this habit of every day going before God, here's the things I'm facing today. Here's the, the problems I think might happen today. Here's my needs today. They also praise God for answered prayer and praise God for all that's happening, but they are dependent on God. Church, are we a dependent church? Or do we only go to God when things get hard? Do we only go to God when He brings sufferings into our life so that we will go to Him? <laughs> Shouldn't we get in the habit of always, is He wise enough to handle my problems? Is He smart enough to handle my problems? If I believe that He cares for me, that He's a mighty hand, that He's knowledgeable enough, He's wise enough to take care of my stuff, I'm going to lay those things before Him. But if I'm not a humble person, if I'm, not, if I'm a prideful person, and maybe you need to examine yourself today in your prayer life even now, the way you live your life, if you're never in God's presence, never seeking His hand, never turning your cares and your anxieties over to Him, what are you saying? Where is your walk with God? He wants you to come to Him. Cast your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. A healthy church is a God-dependent church. A healthy church is a God, I'm relying on God only church. If you think this church is going to be healthy because of the preacher, <laughs> that's a dangerous game. 
you think this church is going to be healthy because Almighty God is in control, that's where you want to go. Rely upon God. Pray to God. Bring your, your shepherds before the Lord. Bring, bring your elders before the Lord. Bring the church before the Lord. Serve one another, but humble yourself under the reign of the King. And He will lead us to a healthy place. The fifth thing here that uh, we want to talk about of being an encouraging church, and, and maybe this one specifically applies to you today. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. <clears throat> be sober-minded, be watchful. I tried to think about that this week, like, be sober-minded. I'm like always sober-minded, aren't I? Well, maybe not. <laughs> be sober-minded. In other words, pay attention. Be watchful. Wake up. You see, sometimes we fall into patterns in certain times in our life where we think we're on neutral ground. We think we're on safe ground, like everything's safe and secure, but really, we're in a cosmic war. We're, we're being under attacked. Every day of our life, our families are being attacked. Every day of our life, our marriages are being attacked. Our kids are being attacked. Our church is being attacked. We have an enemy who would like to destroy this church. We have this, an enemy who would like to destroy you and your faith. And so Peter's uh, uh, metaphor here of a roaring lion, um, it's pretty vivid of a lion chewing on a human and the blood falling out of its mouth. Uh, where, did, where did Peter get this, this analogy? Maybe he went to one of Nero's games in the amphitheater and he actually saw a lion devour a human. Spiritually, the enemy comes against you. He is, is the Apostle Paul says, sends fiery arrows your way, fiery darts, brings temptation into your life and says, you don't really want to follow Jesus, do you? Wouldn't it be easier to go the other way? Wouldn't it be easier just to go with the world's way? Why do you keep putting up with persecution at work? Why do you keep putting up with ridicule at school? Wouldn't it be easier? And the enemy comes and he's firing darts at you all the time. He comes in your marriage and he says, wouldn't it be better with someone else? Isn't the grass greener on the other side? He comes into your family and tries to destroy it. Peter says, pay attention. Wake up. You're under attack. Also, Paul says, put on the armor of God because we're not on neutral ground. He wants you to fall. He wants you to fall into those sins and temptations. He wants you to walk away from Jesus. And so the Word says, man, pay attention, wake up. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in the promises of God. Stand firm in, in what's coming. Stand firm and believe that Jesus is with you, that you are standing in the true grace of God. You're standing in the true faith of God. It's, it's again a decision that you make. But it's something that doesn't happen once. It's again, like, like sometimes we look, at, we look back in our life and, and, and we, as uh, Elder Pete today said, he called us to maybe confess our sins and repent. Sometimes we, we look in our life and, well, I repented 30 years ago. I don't need to repent anymore. That's not true. 
I, I gave my life to the Lord a long time ago. No, it's, it's an ongoing resisting of the devil. Just because you did it 10 years ago doesn't need, mean you, you don't need to do it tomorrow because I, I guarantee you're going to be in settings this week coming up, maybe at work, maybe in your family, maybe in your marriage, where things are... Where did that thought come from? We know where it came from. The enemy of our souls would pull us apart. The enemy of our souls would destroy our church. The enemy of our souls would pull us away from Jesus. We must resist the devil. Believe the Word of God. One of the big ways in, in 1 Peter that Peter does that, uh, in just in this section, he calls us to think of the future glory. He calls us to hold on in the midst of trials and tribulations because of what is coming. Uh, look, look what he said again in verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Peter's like, yeah, suffering's going on right now. It's happening everywhere around the world. It's happening to your brothers. Persecution's coming upon some. But you guys, we're partakers of the glory that's coming. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. Or verse 4. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, there's different crowns listed in Scripture, and we don't know if they're literal or metaphorical, but oftentimes in Scripture, uh, a crown doesn't necessarily refer to rule, but it refers to honor. Like, grandchildren are, are the, the crown of grandparents, says Proverbs, right? It's like uh, God gives crowns in a sense of their blessing, their honor. He tells the elders, man, you guys serve faithfully. You're going to be godly elders. You serve faithfully. You're going to have the unfading crown of glory. In other words, Jesus is going to honor you. Now, if it's a literal crown, we're going to throw it back at his feet in worship and praise. But he says, man, I'm living for that crown. I'm living for that glory. I'm, I'm living for the reward of Christ, and you should too. Don't give up on your faith. This time is just passing. We're, we're passing through. It's going to be short. or It's going to be over soon. We're going to be with Jesus soon. Don't live for today and the applause of people, applause of men. Live for the applause of Jesus Christ. Live for His praise. Verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. He may lift you up. Or even uh, down, down in verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Brothers and sisters, You've been called to the eternal glory of Christ. You're going to participate in the kingdom of God. You're going to be there with Christ. He's going to reward you. Say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's worth living for. We don't listen to the devil. We don't give in to his lies. We don't live in worldly ways. We don't live in wicked ways. We don't depart from Jesus. We don't walk away from Christ. Even when times get hard, we stay with it. We stick with it. We stand firm in Christ because we know the right time, He's going to restore us. He's going to confirm us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to establish us. Now, uh, Bible scholars are confused, or, or they're not confused, but they debate about that. Is it just this age or the next age? I think God allows us to go through suffering. One of the reasons God allows us to go through suffering now is to build up our, our faith. He's preparing us for, for the next stage. He's preparing us to reign with Christ. This, this, this time... Brothers and sisters, you might suffer now. You might go through trials now. You might go through tribulation now. But it's just short time. Stay with Jesus. 
Keep walking with your Lord. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Pick up that shield of faith. Put on that armor of God, that helmet of salvation. And you will make it through this time because God loves to show grace to those who depend on Him. The God of all grace is with you even now in what you're going through. Don't you forget it. So brothers and sisters, First uh, Peter, in the days ahead or in the months ahead or in the years ahead, you have a God-given resource, a manual, as it were, instructions on how to live godly lives in times of persecution and suffering. In the coming month, we're going to talk about uh, how to live under the reign of God. Going into May, we're going to start the book of Daniel. Brothers and sisters, this is a season of new beginnings. We go into the summer filled with hope. We go into the summer hoping that things are going to get better and better in our community and our culture. We go into the future. Let us make up our minds that whatever comes, whatever happens, whatever comes our way again, whatever suffering, that we're going with Jesus Christ. We're living for Him in His glory. We will be His church that He is so worthy of. Amen? Please stand in His presence. <clears throat> Lord God, thank You for the Word of God. Thank You for giving us the grace uh, to have a written Word that we can go to and ponder and memorize and put into our hearts and live by. Lord God, uh, we, we turn over these last few months of studying First Peter to You and we ask that You would, Lord, make us again Your people, shape us to be Your people, filter the things of the world out and, and let us be a church that is walking with You in intimacy and dependence. And Lord, may we see lives changed. Lord, may this church be a, a powerful church in preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel and seeing lives transformed. <clears throat> Lord, send us now into the world in Your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.